Leviticus 22 is part of the unit, which would be chapters 21 and 22 regarding instructions for priests. I can understand how studying and going through something like Leviticus seems a little mundane or uh, even to some people irrelevant, but it's not. It's deep and you have to really dig to appreciate the instructions that are given in the law of Moses. And these instructions, of course, are not just the Ten Commandments, but they include such that as we have been looking at throughout Leviticus and even in the latter part of Exodus. It is God's dealing with his people. Today, those people are the church. Israel, in a sense, is still being saved, but, but for an Israelite to be saved, he has to come by faith in Christ and he comes into the church. And if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you will know that the time will come again. Of course, it's the tribulation. The church is raptured away. And those, that final Shabbat, that final seven-year period designated for Israel will be fulfilled. So here is this era of the church between the 69th and 70th weeks. And we serve the same true and living God, but there are principles, and I've tried to say this practically every week in Leviticus, there are, there are principles regarding our relationship, God to his people, God's people to our God, that, that continue on in a sense. Here we're talking about the Levitical priesthood. It's a reference to the truth that God ordains certain of his people to serve as leaders of the congregation. In the, in the case of a priesthood, it was a, an, an intermediary between, it, it would be the representative of God to the people and the, and the representative of the people to God. And he was in between. Now we don't have a priesthood like that in the church. We have the priesthood of believers. We come to the throne of grace. However, there are ordained and God called leaders. And we read it. We read that in the New Testament. It begins with Christ calling his apostles. They were the first. And then there were others. First apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, then pastors and teachers. Paul writes to the Ephesians. So let's bring that back then to Leviticus. And we're extracting principles that we see are important to the heart of God with respect to the relationship that God has to his people and that he expects his people to have to him. We have been in a section of Leviticus after, after the section of the sacrifices. We've been in a section that some theologians call 
the holiness code. The instruction from God in his law about the holiness and purity of his people with regard to their actions and with regard to their personal lives. Where they live and how they dress, what kind of clothing they wear. Now, these two chapters, as we studied last time, are applicable to the priesthood. And I'm going to do this chapter like I did the last one, which is how I treat several of the chapters in Leviticus. We'll read through it. And then I want to reflect upon it at the end of, uh, of, of the chapter. Okay, so here we go. Preserving the purity of the sacrifices. Remember, this is just continuing the same section that was started last time in 21. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons that they shall separate themselves from the holy sacrifices of the sons of Israel, which they sanctify to me so as not to desecrate, desecrate my holy name. I am Yahweh. Say to them throughout your generations, any man among uh, uh, any man among any of your offspring, while his defilement is still upon him, comes near to the holy sacrifices that the sons of Israel consecrate to Yahweh, that soul shall be cut off from before me. I am Yahweh. Any man whatsoever among whom uh, Aaron's offspring, if he has tarat or has had a discharge. I prefer to just use the Hebrew word in some of this. He shall not eat of the holy sacrifices until he cleanses himself. And one who touches anyone who has become unclean by contact with a dead person or a man from whom seed issued or a man who touches any creeping creature uh, through which he becomes unclean or a person through whom he becomes unclean, whatever his uncleanness, the person who touches it shall remain unclean until evening and he shall not eat from the holy things unless he has immersed his flesh in water. Now we're in a general section here that's talking about how the priest is to eat the food. The priests had a lot of food <laughs> given to them. Part of the sacrifices so as part of some of the sacrifices were left over for the priests to eat. That was part of the provision in the law for the priesthood. So they had all kind of, of food that uh, they could eat. They were well taken care of in that regard. And other people could eat with them within the guidelines of the law. So here we're, we're, we're being, the instruction is, that uh, there are certain things that would disqualify that priest. It's not a permanent disqualification. It's a temporary thing. But he comes unclean and then he has to cleanse himself. And during that period of time, he can't eat of, uh, of the priest food. Uh, when the sun sets, he becomes clean. And afterwards, he may eat of the holy things for it's his food. He shall not eat a carcass or anything that was torn, thereby becoming unclean through it. I am Yahweh. They shall keep my charge and not bear a sin by eating it while unclean and thereby die through it since they will have desecrated it. I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. Now you'll see that phrase about three times, I think, in this section. I am Yahweh. I have sanctified them. I have set them apart. So 
he has these rules that they have to follow because he's Yahweh. And he determines what in his sight is clean or unclean, acceptable or unacceptable in the priesthood with regard to the food. No non-priest may eat holy things. A priest's resident and his hireling may not eat holy things. And if a priest acquires a person and acquisition through his money, he may eat of it. And those born in his house, they may eat of his food. Now, how can he acquire a person uh, through the acquisition of his money? Well, it's, uh, it's like an indentured servitude kind of a thing. And it becomes part of his household. That person may eat of it. And those born in his house, they may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter is married to a non-priest, she may no longer eat of the separated holy things. But if the priest's daughter becomes widowed or divorced and she has no offspring, she may return to her father's household as in her youth and eat of her father's food, but no non-priest may eat of it. And if a man unintentionally eats what is holy, he shall add a fifth to it, a fifth of it to it, and give the priest the holy thing. So he has to pay like a, what, a 20% uh, interest, a, a fee, a charge on it if he unintentionally eats that which is holy. And they shall not desecrate the holy things of the sons of Israel, those that they have set aside for Yahweh, thereby bringing upon themselves to bear iniquity and guilt when they eat their holy things, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. There's that statement again. It's, it's repeated again to remind the people that this is a direct instruction from Yahweh. It's not a random thing. It is a thing that applies to the holiness of God and to the code of holiness for his people and to the higher responsibility that his, he holds his priesthood to. And he says, I'm the one who sanctified. I'm separating them. I have sanctified them. I've ordained them. I've, I've moved them into the special position. And thereby there are certain requirements that they will have to follow that others don't have to follow because they're not priests. Then preserving the perfection of the sacrifices. All of this speaks of the importance of worshiping Yahweh. It can't be a thing that's not very special. It has to be very special. People should feel more or less overwhelmed with gratitude and, and uh, humility coming before Yahweh because he has provided for their salvation and he has provided for them to have an opportunity uh, for worship. He has provided such that he would he would, his presence would be in their midst in the case where in the time when this is written, they're still on their way to the land of Canaan, having come out of Egypt. And so the tabernacle and all is in the midst of the people and the, the tribes are around uh, the outside of that. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel and say to them, any man whatsoever from the house of Israel or from the strangers among Israel who offers up his sacrifice for any of their vows or for any of their donations that they may offer up to Yahweh as a burnt offering to be favorable for you, it shall be an unblemished male from cattle, from sheep, 
or from goats. Now that rule, of course, continues and that doesn't change. It has to be unblemished. There's a reason for that. If he's going to offer up an offering, then that which is offered up in his behalf has to be unblemished. It has to be, it has to meet a standard of perfection as identified in, in that day, in that culture among the Israelites, all of which, of course, according to Hebrews, is pointing to Christ, the perfection of Christ. And so the lesson is given over and over and over again about unblemished animals. Any animal that has a blemish, you shall not offer up where it will not be favorable for you. And if a man offers up a peace offering to Yahweh for declaring a vow or as a donation from cattle or from the flock to be accepted, it shall be unblemished. It shall not have any defect in it. So the same thing applies, obviously, to peace offering. An animal that has blindness or a broken bone or a split eyelid or lip, one that has warts, dry lesions, or weeping sores, you shall not offer up any of these to Yahweh, for you sh nor shall you place any of these as a fire offering upon the altar to Yahweh. Well, that list, that list spares most of us, doesn't it? All right. As for an ox or a sheep that has mismatching limbs or uncloven hooves, you may make it into a donation, but as a vow, it will not be accepted. Any animal whose testicles were squashed, crushed, pulled out, severed, you shall not offer up to Yahweh, and in your land you shall not do it. And from the hand of a Gentile, you shall not offer up as food for your God any of these blemished animals, for their injury is upon them, and there is a defect upon them. They will not be accepted for you. There again, perfection without blemish. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain under its mother for seven days. And from the eighth day onwards, it shall be accepted as a sacrifice for a fire offering to Yahweh. An ox or sheep, you shall not slaughter it and its offspring in one day. And when you slaughter a thanksgiving offering to Yahweh, you shall slaughter it so that it should be acceptable for you. It should be eaten on that day. Do not leave it over until morning. I am Yahweh. Now these are instructions that the priests will have to follow and the worshipers will have to understand that the priest is under instruction from Yahweh that if they bring something that is outside of the outside of the boundaries of these qualifications, uh, they won't be able to offer it. It's, it's not acceptable. I am Yahweh. You shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am Yahweh. You shall not desecrate my holy name. I shall be sanctified amidst the sons of Israel. I, and there it is again, I am Yahweh who sanctifies you, who took you out of the land of Egypt uh, to be your God to you. I am Yahweh. Okay, so the priest doesn't just go into a, um, a time of offering sacrifice without having specific instructions. So he knows what he can do and what he can't do with regard to the food that is extracted from the offerings that are given, 
He's told who can eat it, who cannot eat it. Uh, because this is something that is holy to Yahweh. Everything about the priesthood is holy to Yahweh. It is sanctified. How many times? Three times he said, I am the one who sanctifies you. You are holy to me. You have to do as I command you. And here's what you're to do. And sometimes things happen and you're not able to do it. So here's what you have to do in order then to move from the state of uncleanness to cleanness. And so Yahweh gives all these instructions, and this is very, very important because they're representing Yahweh and, and they're representing the people to Yahweh. They're, they're essentially in the closest uh, proximity to Yahweh. And of course, the high priest goes right into the presence of Yahweh. And we saw last time that the high priest had even more responsibilities laid upon him and qualifications than did the general priesthood. So here are the rules and they all mean something. And it, it is bearing down on the truth that Yahweh is holy, that his people are separated and holy and that his people have instructions to make them acceptable in his sight, in his presence, in his worship. And we, the next section in Leviticus begins the section that talks about the worship of God's people. So all of this has to be out of the way and taken care of before then worship uh, is addressed. So let's think about this. These are special rules for the priests. Uh, talking about those things that would disqualify a priest from participating in the sacrifices. Uh, and of course, we also saw how it addressed the questions about the eating the food that was specifically for the priests themselves. Uh, the qualities that were necessary uh, in the animals and, and that were used for offerings and so forth. So here, let's, let's just generally consider what this means for them and what it means to us as God's people today. First of all, everything, okay, we, the section previous, in the weeks previous, the holiness code applied to the people in general. Cleanness and unclean it had to do with what they ate, uh, leprosy in their clothes, leprosy in their homes, uh, it, the, the discharges from their bodies and all this kind of stuff. Everything about the people of God was to reflect the holiness of God. If something happens, provisions were made so that the people could become clean if they had to separate themselves from, from the congregation, whatever. And then they could come back. They were still God's people, but they had to take care of uncleanness because God is a holy God and he had a holiness code for his people so that neither the people nor the priests would profane the holy name of God. So the Gentiles around them would have to say, well, you know, they, man, they're, they, they got strange stuff, but that's what their God tells them to do. And that separates them from everybody else. So number one, with regard to all of it, including the offerings and, and, and the manner of animal that was to be offered, these rules are given so that God's name would never be profaned and that the holiness and purity of God and that the 
covenant relationship between God and his people would always be strong and there would be an understanding here about the importance of the responsibilities of being God's people. Uh, And then, of course, who was to eat, how they could eat, the sacred food, and so forth. But for us and for them, it means that when when we serve God, however we may serve him, and of course, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mentioned the priesthood of the believer earlier, we all have a service that we perform. We are told in the Bible that we, we're given certain, there's certain gifts that are given to us. Whatever we do, just like in their day, when we serve God, it is a high and holy thing. It is, it is to draw attention to God and nothing else but the greatness and holiness of God. Whatever we do, in any way that we serve God, it is to exalt God and to serve him as holy God. The next thing is to note here, and that comes forward really into the New Testament era, is that the priests were placed by God. Three times God said, I'm Yahweh. I sanctified them. I set them apart. They didn't set them. And I can tell you that's the way it is with Ministers today, you know who in, the, who in his right mind would want to enter the ministry? It has to be a divine thing that you cannot escape. So here, they are placed in this position. It's a unique position, and it is a position to which Yahweh placed them. It's the same way today with with God's ordained leaders and. The qualifications for those leaders are addressed in the New Testament, especially in Timothy, about deacons and elder slash bishop slash pastor. Those are synonymous words because in, especially in two particular places, the verb or the noun form is seen as interchangeable. So usually the word pastor is in a it's only used in a noun in, in one place. That's in Ephesians, pastors, and teachers. Other places it's used in the verb form, referencing elders. And then, of course, a bishop is an over, has oversight, an overseer. A presbyteros, the elder, has, has a position such that he is on business for the king. He's an ambassador for heaven. And the pastor is the feeder. He feeds he tends to the flock. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, those three words are synonymous. They're the same thing. So you have these two ordained offices. You have, you have deacons, and you have, you have bishop, elder, pastor. So it is, th- those are positions for which God is responsible. God does this. It was Christ who went out first and found his 12 disciples. There, there, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just someone f- following his uncle's advice. You know, you ought to, you ought to go and listen, follow him. It, it wasn't really, and we're, we're seeing it in John, but we, we've seen it in the other gospels we've studied. It was a, it was, it was not a natural thing. It was a supernatural thing 
that these men would follow Christ. And if you study their history, you will see that they followed Christ all the way to a horrific death. Except for a perhaps John who evidently died just of old age when he was allowed to go back to Ephesus after Patmos. Well, anyway, it's a thing that God does. It's not a thing that man does. There used to be a saying in, in, uh, among families, among families of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, of the upper class in England back in the days of the British Empire that the head of the household would say, if we have an extraordinary son with great intelligence and ability, we will send him to the Navy. If we have the next son and he has somewhat less intelligence and ability, we will send him to the Army. If at last we have a son and he has no abilities at all and no intelligence, we will make him into a clergyman. <laughs> so that's where we fit in, is at the bottom of the heap. It has to be a God thing, right? It started back here in the time of the priesthood. It continues into the, into the New Testament because in the unique position, they have special responsibilities, but they also have special, not only do they are, are called upon to protect the work in this case, the holy sacrifices to protect in this day, the word to be the guardian of God's people, to disallow any false doctrine or, or some kind of dangerous food that would poison them. Uh, that's, that's certainly part, but they also have to feed them uh, the food uh, completely and not withhold anything, but give them, give them feeding as a shepherd, as a pastor as he pastors uh, people. And there are other places in the scriptures that teach, in the Old Testament, that teach us that the priest, the priesthood also gave um, instructional counseling, I guess. They would teach the people, especially about the, about the uh, sacrifices that were being brought and why there were certain rules. Well, these rules apply to something and they would teach them. Uh, about those things. Special responsibility to protect uh, the work of God, but it goes beyond that. Placed in a unique position such that God protects that person until that person's ministry is over. And then you just die. John the Baptist, for example. Also, to determine that which is acceptable before the Lord in giving sacrifice, in offering donation, and in offering and giving worship. There are things that wouldn't be acceptable um, in worship. When we come before God in a time of worship, there are just, there are just things that, that would be clearly identified as Offensive to Yahweh, and therefore it has to be disallowed. Well, here, that which was brought forward in an act of worship to Yahweh would be deemed by the commands of Yahweh through the priesthood 
to be deemed what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. So for us, this all demonstrates how God requires holiness, not just from his leaders, but from his people, which we have studied previous to these two chapters. For us, it's not a question any longer of who can eat a sacrifice or what kind of animal may be sacrificed. These, these of course, don't apply to us anymore. But we still serve the same holy God who requires holiness and separation from his people. Also, we learn, and I have a couple of uh, references in the New Testament, those who serve God and teach others are held to a stricter standard. And finally, it gives us some background material for the teaching of the apostles regarding discernment, saying who may and may not partake of the Lord's Supper. And all that's found in 1 Corinthians 11. So these, these things parallel our lives, certainly, in our service and our worship. And we can reflect upon the principles that God established originally in his law and how the, how the spirit of God and God's relationship with his people continues in the same way with regard to the importance of separation and holiness, the holiness of God, the holiness of God's people and the unique position of those who serve in leadership to God's people. Well, we'll stop there and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you even for the law that gives us guidance like this and helps us to understand you and, and who you are and what your expectations are of your people. We pray, God, that you will bless us and help us in these very dangerous last days that we may completely give ourselves over to holiness and separation and that we might always walk in a path such that we would never, ever profane your holy name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.